Welcome to the B-Side Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Frank. And today, I don't have a guest again. But if you notice the applause there, I actually have a soundboard now. So you'll be getting some random sound effects every now and then. So I don't have a guest today, unfortunately. And a few things have fallen apart in looking for a guest this week. Wasn't able to record on Saturday with either of the two that I had planned. But now, I'm going to actually talk about some current events that are going on currently in Louisiana. And one of them, if you haven't read, in the Chandelier Islands, they have found baby sea turtles. I believe both loggerhead and kelp. I may be wrong with that, but they have found sea turtles that are hatching on the chandelier islands and what i was my first thought was well that's great for us because you know what that means now so we might actually now get extra federal funding for our coastal restoration so that we can keep these protected sea turtles around and giving them a place to nest so i don't know um in the same article i was reading it said that they found the sea turtles on grand isle and that also is a good thing, which, or it could be a good thing potentially. Well, okay. It is a good thing. It's the first time in almost three quarters of a century that they're seeing these sea turtles nesting in this area. And it is a great thing for the sea turtles, great thing for conservation. But now. That may be another double-edged sword when you go to Grand Isle because now they can actually shut parts of the beach down um, for turtles. Um, they could even turn into a situation like Florida where at certain times of the year you can't even have any light facing towards the Gulf because it'll confuse the baby sea turtles from what I understand or it might confuse the big turtles. Not sure exactly how that works. And speaking of the Gulf Coast near Louisiana, um, the pogey boats are at it again. And in case you're not familiar with what a pogey is, I believe they're called Menhaden is the actual name for them. Uh, also, up north they call them Bunker. And just recently there was an argument and fight to make it to where these boats had to report their quota and a few other things, and I think they had a buffer zone. Well, they're not, or didn't pass, I should say, and uh, seeing that these boats are within a quarter mile of it having issues, they're destroying some habitat that the CCA and all had put in, or potentially destroying habitat that the CCA and all had put in. And the big thing that you really want to or concerns me with these pogey boats is that there are other fish besides pogey that get caught in their nets and they say oh well we only pick out the small fish or the pogey and I'm like well how does that work if you're doing size size does not matter with that because the redfish chase the pogey the speckled trout chase the pogey any predatory fish that's going to go after these are going to chase these fish. Well, even the small ones could be mixed in with it, and 
there you go. You get rid of all of these little fish that are next year's or next year's and the future of the fishery. And you know, in recent years, that has been a big topic for discussion is the game fish in Louisiana. So this year I've seen a few different things talking about the redfish quota being, or the redfish population, not quota, the redfish population being low. And everybody says it's everything from climate change to charter captains to bow fishing captains. And I don't think there's one simple answer to it. Part of it could be the Manhattan industry. Manhattan is actually a huge diet source for some of these big redfish that are the baby makers. So, And one year ago today was actually when the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries was sending out their surveys for what they should do with the spec quotas. Um, speckle trout are down. My thing is I believe you need to lower the limit and possibly set a quota for a speckle trout. Um, and this had a lot of feedback because I don't think it was explained right when I posted on the post about it, but I'll talk about it right now. So I'm not attacking charter captains. And the reason I'm about to say this is because I feel that charter companies take more than the general angler, let's say. And when I say that is, the last time I caught a limit with specs was probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I've We've caught 15 to 20 a person within recent years. But if I go out once a month or even twice a month and catch 25 specs, and normally we got three, two to three people on the boat, so that's 50 to 75 specs, maybe 150 at the most a year. I mean, I'm sorry, a month. But the reason I say they need separate quotas is because let's say they say, all right, you can catch 2 million specs. I'm not sure exactly what the numbers are. There's no science behind this, but I'm going to use 2 million. So what we're going to do is we're going to give a million to the anglers and a million specs to the commercial industry. Which, when I say commercial industry, would be the charter fisherman industry. And what that would do is, so these charter boats go out, let's say, five days a week with four people on them. And I'm actually about to do the math while I'm talking to y'all. So if I trail off, that's why. So a charter cap or a charter company could potentially take with a four-man limit five days a week that's 500 fish a week that they're taking out as opposed to my 150 a month now I'm not saying I fish trout all the time there's people that do a lot more and they may catch two two days worth every weekend but still that doesn't that's not seven days a week or five days a week to catch these trout and I'm don't get me wrong I think the charter industry is great it brings a lot of money into Louisiana and I'm not saying that 
I want them to fail or to slow them up. But I believe that could even be a that could even be a marketing strategy if they do it right that says, look, we got a million fish to catch, come early, so that they can get all of these people that want to be booked early on for a speckle trout. Well, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I would love to hear y'all feedback. Just all I'm saying is that I am keeping this very civil, and I would appreciate anybody commenting to also do the same. And also, if I have, if there's a charter captain that wants to come on and discuss this with me, please do so. And I'm not just saying that it's the charter captain's fault. I believe it's everybody's fault. I believe the size of the fish should be increased to a minimum of 15 inches or more and the number of fish caught should be reduced down to 10 or 15 I mean we had so just for example I want to give you an example for the July weekend we had I don't know 20-25 people at my uncle's camp and if you haven't seen the pictures on Instagram of the snapper and speckle trout that was there. That was a, I want to say one like 175 speckle trout, which none day, no days we caught limits at all of the speckle trout. But the snapper we caught every day. We limited out the two days we went. But the 175 speckle trout, just for people that aren't aware, 100 or whatever it was, 100-something speckle trout, was a, I believe, a 20-quart ice chest of fillets. In case you don't know how much meat 20-quart of fillets is, that is a ton of meat. We had a 120-quart ice chest of snapper fillets. I filled up an ice chest that I had brought with me and probably won't need fish for a year or so, but that's just how it is with me. I mean, some people might eat a lot more fish. And let's go from fishing to hunting. And let's talk about another thing that came out last week or the week before. That Wildlife and Fisheries last year, for people who don't know, found the first positive case of CWD in Louisiana. Well, they set up from what I believe was a 25-mile buffer zone. And to me, 25 miles sounds probably about where you want to be and the reason is a deer during the rut they have studies where they've seen them run 17 18 miles in a day which most of the time deer do make a big circle so they'll circle around so he should stay within that area roughly but this deer was killed in i think tinsaw parish which that's the Delta of Louisiana. That is where some of the biggest deer in the state come from. Well, because business owners and hunters and everybody else don't like that there's this huge area that you can't feed in, they went ahead, pressured wildlife and fisheries to where they reduced it to 10 miles. And there was some, play, some businesses that were citing, well, we make so much money off of deer feed. So... The issue with I find of this is that let's say, yes, you found one deer this year that tested positive. 
the way this disease is transmitted, which from how I understand is through saliva, you don't want to condense the deer. But when you put a corn feeder out, they all come there to eat. And, you know, think about when you're eating. This is going to be, hopefully you're not eating while listening to this podcast because we may get into some stalking. But as you're eating, you're salivating to make it to where you can swallow it. You may drool a little bit. When that drool hits onto the corn around it, if that deer don't eat that corn, now you have a pile of CWD-infected corn. Well, also things that can be infected is that he's been urinating on scrapes, licking lick sticks, all of this around this area, and now you don't know how far he's traveled with this CWD positive. But the problem is, let's say you you shrink it down. Well, let's say next year you get one 10 miles away that's positive. So are you now going to say, oh, well, we're only going to do a 10-mile buffer zone, or are you still going to do your original 25 miles? And once you start getting deer positive, eventually they're going to have to put a feed ban in place. So why not see if maybe you can control it now before it gets too bad, which I don't know if there is a way to control CWD. Uh, Let me know if y'all know of a way. I mean, from what I see now, it's just kind of go with the flow. You do what you got to do. Try to contain it. Uh, I have some opinions on CWD and ways that things should be handled, as in deer farms. I don't know how many deer farms in this country I have listening but I'm letting you know right now, if you own a deer farm, operate a deer farm, or anything, you are about to be upset with what I'm about to say and my opinion here. So, the way I look at it, if, let's say, a herd of cows, one cow, tests positive for mad cow disease, what's the protocol there? From what I understand, you have to kill every single cow in that herd and burn their bodies. So why not do the same with deer farms? Because they believe CWD, the transmission of it, a lot of it was originally from deer farms. And think about it. You don't want to congregate deer as it is. So what what does a deer farm do? They congregate them. And I understand that these deer farm have, or even still, high fence communities. Unless you're on a 40,000 acre high fence property if your deer are congregated there once you test positive for CWD that herd needs to be eliminated right then and there and in the wild it's a little bit harder to eliminate a herd but could it be done? I don't want to see it done but if you keep getting test positive it may have to be done all right, I'm getting off of my soapbox and going kind of back to the CWD and then going to segue into my next thing I want to talk about. So there are, I'm talking about auxiliary feeding, whether it be a mineral site, corn, anything like that. They, A corn feeder, in my opinion, I hunt over them. Everywhere I hunt, we're allowed to feed. I've hunt over corn. But, if you have hogs on that property, auxiliary feed, whether it be a mineral site or 
corn or anything like that, it is going to attract them hogs and run your deer out. But what I've always seen too, or what I've seen that works a little bit better, is live planted food plots. So you'll attract deer to it, and there's actually plenty of ways, or plenty of resources, I should say, on how you can take a food plot and build it to make it more friendly to deers. And I'm no expert, but I started listening to it, and if you ain't build your food plot yet, you may be a little late, but you could do it. Um, down here, we're probably not going to plant until... We don't really do summer plots. We talked about it in spring plots, but um, we don't really do it where I hunt. And the other place that I hunt, or the place in Louisiana that I hunt, it's swamp. And we actually kicked around the idea of putting a plot in a couple of areas there, but there's some other issues with that, that it floods a lot, and it's real low, and depending on the seed you get, not all of it grows very well in low wet areas, so I gotta do a little bit more research before I wanna go ahead and put a plot in there. But, we do auxiliary feed there, and like I said, it's nothing but pigs in there. Alright, so we are sitting at about 10 minutes, well, 10 to 13 minutes left, so... Um, let me tell you a story about what happened to me this weekend. So, let's rewind to August 29th, 2021, or August 28th, I guess, 2021. Um, a few of me and my buddies were supposed to go out, and we had a bow fishing trip booked and ready to go, and... We start looking a few days before, and there's a hurricane forming in the Gulf. If you do not recognize August 29th, 2021, it is the 16th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina made landfall, and the night, or the day, that Hurricane Ida made landfall. That's right. We had a bow fishing trip canceled due to Hurricane Ida. So, fast forward in time, we start talking to the captain, and he's like, look, since the hurricane, everything's kind of messed up, let's give it a few months. So, between getting everybody scheduled together and all of that jazz, we decided on the August 20th of 2022, almost a full year after Hurricane Ida made landfall. So, Hurricane Ida pushed this trip back a year, and we're all excited. We're pumped up. We meet at the launch for like seven. The sun's just starting to set. Um, making small talk with the guy. You know, he knows a few of the people I know. And what happens next? Well, we launched a boat. As soon as we get in the water, the captain realizes he forgot all of the spare arrows. We had two spare bows, so we would have had two spare arrows if we would have broke any, but so he's like, oh man, look, I apologize, yada, 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 and we're like, alright, whatever, we try not to break anything, right? So, we get, and if you're familiar with the Lafitte area, you'll know about the Barataria Waterway, and if you're not familiar where the Barataria Waterway is, it runs from, okay, so, it's kind of complex, I guess. But 
to make things simple, it runs from the river at a set there's a set of locks at the river, and it's pretty much for the most part a straightish shot down to Grand Isle area. Well, anyway, we launch at the end of Lafitte, as far as you could go. Can't get no further from our boat launch. And launch, start heading out. And then Lafitte has this old rice plantation adjoining it, which they call it the pen now. The pen is like roughly five miles long. It starts up near um, the Goose Bayou Bridge, and I guess it would technically be Goose Bayou at that point. And the southern end's probably about a half a mile or further from uh, where we launched at. So we get up, start running, and I don't know, probably ran for 20, 30 minutes south, maybe. Might have been 15 minutes south. And all of a sudden we hear, So... He kills, he knocks the boat out of gear, and then he turns off one of the motors, and he says, man, I think I just blew a motor. And when we look back, there is a huge cloud of white smoke coming from this boat. And we're like, yeah, that sounds about, that looks about right. So he gets off to the side to buy you, so nobody runs us over. And he tries to crank it back up, and it's doing... And you could see the white smoke just billowing out. So he kills it. We turn around. He's like, guys, I hate to do this, but we're going to have to reschedule. So we limp on our way back. And this shows you how great outdoors people are. So we get to, I guess it's the last cut before the pen ends that you can get into the pen from the Baratari waterway. There's a shrimp boat that's been sitting there since we went out. And he's got his skimmers down or yeah i guess it would technically be skimmers and we thought he was just holding there because the current's falling out of the pen and he's catching shrimp well we see him waving at us i was like oh man he's like i I hope they don't need anything much he's like i can't give them anything because i'm only down to one motor one surface drive like so we pull up over there and this guy looks at us and he's like, look, we we have motor issues. We just got it. We were just able to pick up the the nets. And when I say the entire back deck of this was covered in shrimp, they were like, look, man, we'll give you an ice chest of shrimp. And he's like, we can't to tow us in. We're like, we can't tow you in, man. You know, we're down to one motor. Um, so he's like, his deckhand's like, well, look, can you give me a ride? to the marina I'm like yeah yeah no problem we'll give you a ride to the marina so we're driving up and the guy's like we're like, alright where you need to go he's like pull up over there by that little red P-Rog and this little red P-Rog was half sunk dude had a milk jug cut open bailing it out but it was definitely an experience uh, I told all my friends that if we go out again and something goes wrong and I got we got to cancel this trip. I just I don't know if I want to go bow fishing anymore. But luckily, when we rescheduled our trip, we'll be in October. In October, you start seeing more catfish. And what's good about catfish is 
the limit on catfish. So redfish are five redfish per person. The limit on catfish is 100 per person. We're supposed to have five of us going. We're not shooting 500 catfish. If if we shoot that many catfish, look, I'll be giving catfish away. We'll be doing a subscriber giveaway, and you can come get you 120 quart ice chest of catfish fillets. All right, because <laughs> that's just way too much. But Saturday didn't pan out for a good video. Well, Saturday night didn't pan out for a good video. The video that's coming out tomorrow, which would be Friday the 26th, is probably the most unique video I've ever filmed. The most unique way I've ever fried fish. So, y'all make sure y'all go check out the YouTube channel. And the link tree will be in the show notes. And that has links for our YouTube, TikTok, Instagram... Facebook, so all of our links are there. Um, check us out. Also, there's a link for Fishy AF's website, which if you use code Frank AF, you'll receive 15% off your first order. And if you're from Louisiana and trap or interested in trapping, there's also a link to where you can join the Louisiana Trapper and Alligator Hunters Association. And they actually, I don't, I know I told the story, I believe, about it, but they do a one day workshop. They do six of them around the state, and it teaches you the basic rules, the regulations of trapping in Louisiana. They also give you a five gallon bucket with a spade, a sift, uh, a dog proof trap. And a 450, I believe. It's about a hundred and fifty dollars worth of stuff, I think is what they said in this bucket. And it'll definitely get you to where you could start trapping on a little piece of land. And what's really cool about it, it is 100% free. And then once you do the one day class, you can sign up to do a three day class, which that is another world in itself you will learn a ton about trapping from people that have experience and young and old i mean so when we went to the three-day class the three instructors we had uh, two of them were probably 65 ish so anywhere between 60 and 70 let's say and the other one i think was a junior instructor in, I don't know, 16, 17. And he actually taught me a decent amount and had a lot of knowledge about trapping. So, and this week's question on the podcast was, would you shoot a pie ball? The questions are found on the Spotify one. Um, I will touch back on shooting pie balls because Chris wants to talk about it. And just to give y'all food for thought before we have Chris on, I would shoot a pie ball 110%. Now, when I say that, there are several reasons I would shoot it. But when Chris is on, we will talk about that. Another topic I want to cover, and this topic actually pertains to bow season, which will be opening in the next month or so. Um, 
do you shoot fixed or mechanical broadheads? And that actually reminds me of one of my favorite shirts that I got when I joined Serviceide, and that is the fixed or mechanical. And they have been several people with I've had that shirt give me their very strong opinion on what type of broadhead they use and call me stupid for using the one I use. And actually, I have a multi-part answer to that. So make sure you hit that subscribe button or follow button. I think it's follow on here. I don't know. I'm used to YouTube lingo. Still getting used to the podcast world. Hope you've been enjoying us. Share this podcast with a friend, family member, your mom and them. Um, And always remember to thank a veteran so that we can do what we do out here. And I hope to catch you on the B-side of the outdoors.